Welcome back to The Fourth Dimension. Thank you for joining us. If this is your first episode, uh, basically what we do here is we try to speak to experts in, in the field of consciousness to explore and learn. And, you know, I'm on this journey as much as you are. So when I'm talking to these people, I'm just curious and trying to learn as much as I possibly can about uh, whether it's other realms, past lives, uh, going internally, meditation, topics like this, um, and hopefully you take something away from it. Today's guest, uh, we had a really special conversation. Um, Vanita is an incredible author, a meditation coach. Um, She's practiced for years and and she actually teaches uh with fortune 500 ceos which was an interesting part of our conversation and she recently wrote a book about chakras um so we talked a lot about chakras how to align them why you should align them uh the energy that flows through your body and how to kind of become your best self through that practice we talked about past lives we talked about universal consciousness and how you know, uh, the world is currently potentially experiencing global karma, um, which was an interesting uh, concept that she brought up. And we talked about karma too, and how, you know, you have to sometimes deal with the karma of your past lives or or ancestors. Anyways, I won't talk too much, but I just want to thank you guys for tuning in. Really excited about this conversation. If you do really like this, subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on whatever platform you're listening to and share with a friend who might enjoy. All right, let's get into the fourth dimension. Okay, should be going. Um, okay, well, it's a, it's a pleasure uh, to have my guest on, on the show today with me. Um, she's so many things, I don't even want to box her in. Author, she has PR, she has her own company, she... Uh, has all these books uh, that kind of teach you about the inner workings of of our soul, of our body, of our mind. Um, she's a healer. She does classes with Fortune 500 leaders. She she does so many things, and and I want to touch on a lot of those things in 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 the podcast today. But thank you for being here uh, today. Namaste, Jeremy, and greetings from India. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to take this discussion forward with you. Me too. And we were, you know, we were just talking uh, off camera for one second about how strange this time is. But I'm curious, just with your experience, um, what are you most interested in, in terms of human history right now and, and our evolution, whether it's internally, externally, is there something that has caught your eye or that you've been passionate about lately? I think this time, the past couple of months, has been a time for every individual to introspect. It so happens that in the normal course of living, it's very difficult to take time off and look inward. And the universe has provided us with this opportunity. While I understand that there are tremendous difficulties involved, I think we all have to just grasp this chance we've had to look inward, to see why we are here, what's the purpose of being, what's the purpose of living, and just to explore oneself. And also, I think it's important that what this entire situation has made clear is that we can all survive on our own. We can manage without the big car, we can manage without the fancy house, without hanging out with friends at the bars. just shows us that we can all just do really perfectly well by ourselves in the little cocoon of our families or our loved ones. I think that's the takeaway for me. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point in terms of like, it's definitely been a chance to stop and reflect and look inward, like you said. And I think a lot of people are scared of themselves and scared to go deeper within and see maybe things that they're not comfortable dealing with whether it's past trauma or whether it's their flaws or things that they they've had to work on um in terms of your experience what advice would you have for people who maybe are just beginning that journey um or or, you know to go a bit deeper within and 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 how to maybe reflect in in a useful way i think the journey towards spirituality has to begin with very small steps. Mm. It's not something that you can plunge into and then expect to reach enlightenment overnight. 
or say in a month's time or a couple of years time it's a long drawn out process in which you you have to be patient there will be drawbacks there will be setbacks you have to be prepared for all of that but you have to be consistent in your practice whether it's meditation whether it's mindfulness yoga whatever it is that you choose you have to be consistent i think consistency is key and this universe is giving you the time right now for that consistency because you're able to work from home for most people you have a little more time at your disposal so i think this is the perfect time to bring in that consistency into your practice whatever it is whatever spiritual path you choose yeah it's interesting i when i first started meditating uh not too long ago like a couple years ago um okay. i was the, i was the same way where i wanted instant results mm-hmm. and i think i was doing it for the wrong reasons like i was i was trying to get something out of each session or i was trying to feel a certain way but i think like you said it's this long lifelong process of continuing uh to 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 gain insight and on your website you said something really interesting you said uh, you have that quote uh you are what your deep driving desire is as your desire is so is your will so your will is so is your deed as your deed is so is your destiny um right. for yourself what was your process of you know what was the first step that you took on your spiritual journey to realize your destiny i was born in south india where uh, spirituality comes with the package deal of just being born in a south indian family <laughs> and so we were exposed to mantras and yoga at a very early age and uh, i was very fortunate uh, to meet my guru when uh, in 2013 and strangely my guru was not an indian he's a british gentleman wow. who had practiced with maharishi mahesh yogi so he initiated me into transcendental meditation so my practice started then in 2003 and from there uh, the one thing that i have been consistent about is the meditation so the yoga sometimes takes a back seat the chanting sometimes doesn't happen because there are so many other things that need our attention in life but the meditation is what grounds me it's what gives me balance you know the equilibrium comes with that yeah and um, although i started my practice in 2003 and i was constantly looking for ways to evolve spiritually it didn't happen in the way that i desired it until only 2 years ago and that was also almost catastrophic in the way it came about because my daughter had just gotten married and it was a big 5 day celebration in dubai and we came back to mysore where i live and we had this uh, reception for the family and friends and the next morning my husband suffered a massive heart attack Whoa. and it grounded me for two months i was no longer this jet setting pr person i just had to be home i had to be the primary caregiver but it gave me the time uh, to do what i really wanted to do in terms of study the upanishads study the vedas go deep into it and see what really made me um, you know what resonated with me the most and it was at this time that i realized that i was very keen about the chakras and yogas so the entire um, thought process of the tantra itself so that's what i got into and in these two years a lot of learning has happened a lot of practice has happened so and that's how the two books came about as well that's so interesting how how life uh forces you into the place you need to be whether you like it or not true um, and even uh, like i said to you before this the second book was only scheduled for say um 2021 release because i just didn't have the time but then the corona virus made the time it, so i guess you know the universe has its own ways in terms of the the chakra book that you have um mm-hmm. that's been something that's really interesting just to me on a personal level and even you know b- before we got on this morning i was trying to do a a, a small uh, chakra alignment and um you know in terms of your journey with with chakras and 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 going deep with that um what are some things that that work for you in your practice that help you align yourself or you know just for some in in terms of beginners what are the chakras how powerful are they um and how can people better create harmony within themselves 
So uh, to begin with, let's understand that uh, in the Vedic tradition, we talk of every being, not just being made of a physical body, but there's also an energy body, right? Which is called the Sukshma Sharira in Sanskrit. And it is here in the energy body that the chakras come into play. Now, what are the chakras? The Sanskrit word chakra actually means a wheel or a spinning disc. And to understand chakras, we have to understand the concept of prana. Prana is the vital energy, the vital life force, which, which is also in, in the Chinese uh, tradition, it's called qi, qi, you know, all these uh, terms. And I think every tradition, every uh, civilization has their own version of energies. But in the Indian system, we talk of these uh, energies called the prana, which traverse through your entire energy body. And they travel through the entire energy body through channels called nadis. So nadi, the Sanskrit uh, word nadi means a stream which carries these energies. So wherever the nadis merge into what are called plexuses in a biological way is where you will find the chakras. So in the Hindu tradition, we are told that there are 72,000 nadis and 114 chakras out of which 112 lie within the energy body and two outside. But for simplicity and uh, to enable a meditation and to bring about a balance, the seven chakras are generally spoken about. So the chakras, the seven chakras, they start at the base of your spine and end at the top of your head. So starting from the Muladhara all the way up to the Sahasrara chakra. Now, uh, one very interesting aspect which I have to point out is also that in the Indian tradition, this is known as the Kundalini Shakti. So we see the Kundalini as the coiled serpent which is lying at the base of our spine and it needs to move upward, which is why anytime you're in meditation, you're told sit up straight with your spine, you know, upright and erect so that the energy can move from the base of your spine all the way to the top of your head and then merge with the universal consciousness. So the Kundalini is that dormant energy which needs to traverse through all the chakras and then emerge at the top, at which point you will be talk of enlightenment or moksha, nirvana, liberation, call it what you want, but that's the concept. So this is the basis of the chakras, but to give you a very simple analogy, mm. you have a house, there are several electrical wires running through the house, right? And yeah. it's only at certain points where you have the switches that you can moderate or regulate these energies. For example, if you want to turn on a light, there's a switch that you go to. I would reckon that these seven chakras are similar to these switches. Mm -hmm. So that's the analogy of the lights with the chakras. It, I, I, I love the way you said because I never thought about it in, in that term, but that makes so much sense the way you explained, you know, the, the Kundalini energy, energy traveling upwards, because that makes sense. Whereas if one of your chakras, one of your chakras is blocked, right? That means that that energy can't fully uh, go up. Right. So, exactly. it's, so in terms of like opening some of your, your chakras, um, it, it, are there practices that people can use that work well in terms of, through meditation I know you know in some of the guided ones I've done it talks about breathing into them and imagining the light going into them but are there things that you use that you find helps open up certain ones that are blocked before answering that question I want to explain why it's important to unblock the chakras and keep the energies flowing yeah because this is a very common question people ask why should the chakras be clear and balanced now the thing is that every single experience we have as a human being gets imprinted at our energy level. To some extent also at our cellular level in the physical body, but more so in the energy level. So say for example, you've had a traumatic experience as a three-year-old, that is imprinted. If you've had struggles as a teenager, that is imprinted. So all of it is cumulative in effect. 
and there are certain places where all these negativities come together and create a block now for example in a pipe okay a pipe which is carrying water yeah a certain uh, portion of it is blocked so what happens is pressure builds up above or below it in a similar fashion in the chakras if for example you have a blockage in the heart chakra the adjacent chakra say for example the vishuddha chakra becomes overactive so if your heart chakra is blocked and you're not allowing love to flow in you're not compassionate then that shows up as anger issues mm. you know you you are you're loud and you're aggressive so it's important to ensure that all the chakras are open balanced and doing their job so that you can resonate at a higher frequency as an individual as an energy system so that then you can connect with the quantum field mm. you can then resonate at a higher you know physical state of well being at a state of um point where you can manifest whatever it is that you desire without great difficulty because then you're in direct you know consonance and resonance with the quantum field so that is the reason why the chakras need to be balanced that's really interesting i i i love the thought of each one affecting the next so like Absolutely. it's not just cuz cuz i think a lot of the times we think of each each one is operating separately where oh my heart is blocked a bit okay maybe i'm not able to love unconditionally or be as compassionate but the way you said no it actually comes out in your speech cuz it goes up to your throat chakra which also means you're probably not able to think clearly and your your vision is clouded and so it's it, it's it we we can't take each any of them for granted almost no and you shouldn't take them literally in that sense because even though Uh, a lot of people ask you know how is it physically how does it work what you have to understand is that where your attention goes energy flows so even if at a you don't be, let's assume for a moment that there are people who don't believe in this whole system of energy they say it's your physical body and that's all there is to it and the day we stop breathing we go and our body perishes it's understandable and i totally acknowledge that such thoughts exist which is perfectly fine but i want to say to them as well that when you take your attention to a particular part of your body you are doing some healing there because you are giving it some positive energy so don't worry too much about you know just the energy body even at a physical level it helps to just meditate on the various parts because if you observe these seven energy centers that we are talking about are really powerful we are talking about plexuses we are talking about major glands for example the heart it regulates the thymus gland the manipura chakra that's the stomach chakra regulates your pancreas and the agnya chakra regulates your pineal gland so if you do not believe in energies that's perfectly fine at least meditate pay attention take your attention to these parts so that they can heal at a cellular level mm. Yeah yeah it's um it's interesting I I want to go back to what you said before about universal consciousness actually that's what does that mean to you and, and what it what is in your opinion the universal consciousness So uh every single object starting from a tiny grain of sand all the way to the mightiest planet is made up of energy and this energy to me is what pervades entire being right so that for me is what you find in every single object animate or inanimate and this is exactly what we are taught in the vedas that we are just a part of that universal consciousness mm. we're nothing more than that it's just that we perceive ourselves as something different but ultimately it all is a part of that great consciousness yeah. you know now recent studies if you you know hear what sam harris the scientist philosopher has to say he says that such a thing as free will doesn't exist because we don't know where our thoughts come from right yeah. we do not determine what we think if we could pre think what we were to think then there is such a thing as free will 
if not then the whole concept is very difficult to come to terms with yeah so i think quantum mechanics quantum physics is starting to show that matter as we perceive it is only because of consciousness so if you go back into an atom for example now quantum physics tells us that 99.9% of the atom is empty space with merely vibrations in it a vibration is yeah. nothing but an energy which means that 99.9% of the universe is merely vibration and we are only perceiving matter through our consciousness so consciousness is everything and when we talk of universal consciousness it's when we step outside of our ego and we say okay this is we are a very tiny speck of sand in the beach of consciousness it's yeah yeah and the fact that i like that you said that with you know stepping outside of your ego um in order to see that we're just part of this massive uh vibrational energy and we're just this little part and i think that's tough for people to get outside of their own little bubble and feel right. maybe not as important but when when you speak of it like that it's almost like everything including yourself is just as important as each other so without one one piece you know this doesn't work like when you see what's going on in the world whether it's uh you know naturally if you look at the skies everywhere you know the natural disasters happening the the virus is happening what is uh, what are your thoughts on the universal consciousness how we've been affecting uh the world and how the world has been affecting us like what what do you think the balance is there so the thing is in the past couple of uh decades i think we as human beings have become far more selfish far more materialistically driven and we really driving ourselves away from nature and when we talk of universal consciousness one of the things which is most essential is that we stay in touch with nature to stay in touch with the core of what is already around us in a natural fashion not with the artificial things that we have created so i think in the past say 50 60 years this race towards commercialism materialism you call it what you want has actually impacted the entire consciousness of the universe to an extent where the universe had to take a step and say look guys wake up <laughs> about time that you did something about this before you you bring about more catastrophic results let's wake up now and let's do something about it and i think in the past 6 months i have seen that a lot of people are embracing more natural ways of living yeah. are wanting to embrace things which they didn't even dream of 6 months ago when yeah. all they could think of was that prada bag or the rolex watch i think now the desire is more how can i find out more about you know what i'm headed for what my purpose in life is yeah. how can i be of use to the planet So I think, in a way, it's a course correction which the yeah. universal consciousness has brought about. Yeah, yeah. I think people, um, and if people don't, if people aren't on that frequency, it's almost like they're getting left behind. You know, if you're in in a sense, not necessarily physically, but in the way that, like, if you're not at least open to these possibilities and and looking inward and and trying to go on some sort of spiritual journey, like. the universe is kind of telling you like listen like all the stuff you thought mattered it doesn't anymore so one way or another you kind of get on got to get on board in, in in on this journey true but i also believe that um, again this goes back to the hindu tradition in which i practice that our spiritual evolution depends a lot on our previous lifetimes mm. so to go, go back to sam harris and um, his uh, you know thoughts on free will in the hindu tradition we say that our thoughts originate from our previous imprints from our previous lifetimes so if you have not evolved in your previous lifetimes you will probably take a few more lifetimes to get there mm. so it's only possibly that one one and a half two percent of people who will actually be looking at consciously evolving and getting better and moving to a higher spiritual level 
it's not for everyone which is all right because that again is a balance of nature because if everyone went on the spiritual path then there would you know there would yeah. be an imbalance again it would not life would not be the same interesting i never i see i never thought about it like that but that's actually <laughs> cuz i was i was uh listening to an audiobook the other day where it was it was um i think it was called many lives many masters and it was talking mm-hmm. about um past lives and i and i'd love to talk to you about that like in terms of your your tradition and your beliefs um so in the book it was saying basically there's different levels um of awareness of consciousness and of being and and you know there's the true divinity of some sort and then there's the master souls uh what they called where they've kind of evolved fully and so our goal is to get to that in 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 your traditional belief and you know your experience like how 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 can a soul move how can a soul move through time how can we evolve and what are these lessons that you know we have to learn uh, are they specific to each individual or are or do you think there are universal lessons that everyone kind of needs to gain over the course of many lifetimes uh, i don't know i'd love to know your thoughts on all that in the hindu tradition we talk of something called karma but karma not in the way that the west understands it as retribution you know i i see these t-shirts which yeah. says you know karma is a bitch or you know <laughs> karma i can send you a list of people i want you to visit in the hindu tradition karma is just cause and effect so if you have had you know good uh, you've done good deeds in the past if you you know kind of absolved yourself in this lifetime perhaps you will have a better life in the coming lifetime so karma is something which is not just your own individual karma there are different kinds of karmas so for example you're born in a family whose karma you bear right for example if it's a g- genetic problem so the karma also comes to you as a result of being born in a certain family and then you're born in a certain country or a certain society so there is a collective karma of the society where you reside and then now you will notice with the corona if it weren't for corona i would not have been able to explain global karma where all the 7 <laughs> on the planet are facing a similar situation so this is something that has been described extensively in our texts and it is this karma which we need to keep washing off by doing good deeds by you know involving ourselves in compassionate activities and just overcoming all the temptations that one sees in life because in the hindu tradition we talk of life as maya or an illusion which again you know reminds me of all this talk of simulation hypothesis yeah. because i see the parallels because what are you saying in a simulation hypothesis that you know life doesn't exist it's just you know we are seeing it playing out pixelated whatever that's exactly what uh, maya is all about it's just an illusion so again you can see yeah. the parallel there as well Well, I I'm actually really interested on in your thoughts about free will because you you mentioned it a couple times and thinking about it with in terms of past lives um it's almost like a lot of things are brought upon you from your past lives and not only your past lives your family and your generational trauma that you carry or your karma that you carry so it, what how, how much do you think is um our responsibility in, on the individual to kind of overcome some of that karma and decide to do good or decide to be better and and how do you think people are able to overcome you know whether it's generations of making bad decisions or you know many lives of making bad decisions like how how are people able to take control of that and, and really elevate themselves to the next level of consciousness whatever that is so karma doesn't absolve you of the responsibilities that life places before you mm. on the contrary it teaches you the lesson that perhaps if you are able to work towards spiritual elevation which is by different ways and means by meditating by doing you know sadhana which is a practice by leading a disciplined life all of these things you are actually slowly cutting down 
on your bank account of karma until it comes to a zero at which point you're almost liberated so the accountability is on you the onus is on you as an individual for having taken life as having taken birth as a human being now this does not apply to animals because they do not have the high level of consciousness which we do but having been born with a high consciousness it is imperative for us as human beings to ensure that we do something to evolve to move higher up in the spiritual spectrum because that is the only thing which will give you respite from the cycle of birth and death and rebirth and the ability to wash off karmas only comes in a human life mm. but you so can but that has, that means you can uh potentially reincarnate into other forms but you can only evolve if you choose to come back into a absolutely life. Okay. so the vedas talk of 8.4 million different types of forms you can take wow it could be you know you start like a fish and then you know you you develop into a reptile which again you can draw several parallels you know with uh, you know the theories of evolution but in a simpler fashion mm-hmm. 8.4 million ways of taking birth but we we are lucky enough to be humans with an elevated consciousness where we are able to think we are able to understand we are able to actually know that something greater than us exists which may not be true for any other uh, living being because their consciousness is not elevated to that stage mm, so, so they just might not huge... be able to think about it in that way so in in the hindu tradition it's this great responsibility to be born as a human being mm. you know out of the 8.4 million yeah. types of beings it's a responsibility and it's a huge opportunity for you to just liberate and break away from this again that's called a chakra interestingly the chakra of life and death wow it's the wheel of life and death and rebirth and you know death again yeah. and life i keep see i keep uh coming back to the thought of things coming full circle and just mm-hmm. and cyclical and like that idea just keeps coming back and especially now that i look more into reincarnation and and life and death it's like what do you think the the circle uh and 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 cycles have to like why is that so important in our lives that that it keeps you know coming up as a recurring theme uh, again if i go back to what the vedas have to say everything is a chakra in a sense you know the word chakra is even used to uh, denote a king for example a chakravarti is one who runs the wheels of his kingdom so everything in this universe is cyclical if you look at how the universe operates at a macro level or if you look at how an atom operates at a micro level so eventually i think this cycle of life of being has to be acknowledged and this is something which we as humans are refusing to acknowledge until nature you know forces us to come to terms with it so even if it's just looking at a molecule of water how it goes through the entire cycle to come back to us in the form that you know we can consume it for example mm. so i think every uh, lesson which the universe puts out to us is to say everything is a cycle interesting so, you know you and and the the funny thing is we all think that we turn the wheel on which we turn as eliot put it beautifully you know the wheel yeah. is already turning it's, there. it's just that we <laughs> are illusion thing that we are the ones who are turning the wheel and on on the on that note i was i was looking up um this the three and again i'm super beginner on this stuff so any any insight you have is is super helpful but the the three chakra yantra, yantra. and that it's such an interesting symbol and like it it, it basically it, from my from me looking out as a beginner it looks like it symbolizes like everything you've been talking about in this and in the universe but like what does that symbol mean traditionally and and how can we use it so the shri chakra yantra is actually a geometric representation of the entire cosmos wow it is possibly the most powerful geometric diagram you will ever come across in your life it is known to be so powerful 
uh, they have done tests in uh, Russia, I can tell you of one example, where seeds germinate 2.2 times better when they're placed in front of this geometric diagram. That's Scientifically, crazy. But and also, it, it is completely in accordance with the golden ratio. You know the Fibonacci sequence? Yeah. So just looking at this yantra, the geometric drawing of the yantra can bring you to a state of peace of mind. Wow. You could meditate for 20 minutes or you could look at this yantra for two wow. minutes. It <laughs> have the same effect. Where so, did it come from? Where, like who, who was the first person to, to draw it or, or the first tradition to have it kind of in, in somewhere? So these geometric uh, patterns are common throughout different civilizations. You saw it with the Aztecs, you saw it with the Egyptians, the pyramids, you saw it, oh. you know, in the Indian tradition with the mandalas. But I think with the Hindus, they went a little further and the rishis who are the seers, you know, the people who were given instructions from the universe possibly to wow. you know, come up with these things and they made this drawing and this is a very common drawing you will see across India and it is known for the amount of power that it generates. There is no prayer, there is no puja, there is wow. no worship which happens without the worship of some kind of geometry in India. So this a yantra is a geometric pattern. So now this is augmented by a mantra which is the sound aspect so if you put a yantra on a tonoscope, for example, right? Yeah. You will get a certain sound. So that becomes the mantra of that particular yantra. Wow. So it's all really complex. And at the same time, it all ties up together. Yeah, and it, it all, all makes sense. It's just the complexity of it is really hard to fathom. For me, studying the yantra, you know, it took two years. Wow. I'm so I'm so fascinated by it, uh, and I, I, after after we get off, I'm gonna just stare at it for for a while. But um, but to t to keep tying things together, you mentioned earlier uh, transcendental meditation, and that's been something that I've been fascinated with with little understanding for for a long time um, at a basic level, because uh, I know there's you know there's mantras that you kind of tie in but at a basic level what is transcendental meditation and what does the state of being feel like when you reach a certain level with it transcendental meditation was something which was started by maharishi mahesh yogi and uh, what he suggested was that you understand the workings of the mind before your guru initiates you into the tradition or the practice of meditation with a simple mantra. It could be something as simple as an Om or a Shri. It could be anything that's up to your Guru. And then your focus becomes the mantra, that mantra which is given to you by your Guru. So you just practice it, you know, sit, sit with a you know, blank frame of mind and allow the thoughts to pass while the mantra is the only thing you focus on. So the transcendental meditation method is one among several. It's just, you know, there are, I think, at least 10,000 methods of meditation. It's just that the TM was popularized in the West because he had uh, an ashram in the Netherlands. So more people got to know about it. And then Deepak Chopra also talks about TM yeah. or he did in the past. So uh, it's not important what form of meditation you follow. It could just be mindfulness. It could just be watching your breath. It could be anything that you choose where you are allowing the thoughts to pass without casting judgment upon your own thoughts. Mm. The problem with our thinking right now is that every time a thought passes, we ascribe you know, the past yeah. and future to it, right? So the whole idea of meditation is to just be in the moment and allow the thought which is coming to you right now to just pass without judging, without, you know, attaching things to it. So just allowing thoughts to pass. This yeah. takes practice, but eventually, uh, so I can say, you know, I've about 15, 16 years of meditation. 
teaching meditation to many people. What I understand is that you come to a state of equanimity in life in general. It's not that I have these, you know, moments of fantasy driven by DMT or driven by, you know, uh, uh, psilocybin or whatever. Yeah. It's not that. But what it does for me is that it gives me the equanimity to handle and deal with life and its various situations, you know. So sadness comes, you deal with it in much the same way as happiness. So you kind of, it gives you the ability to balance your life and not be affected too much by what's happening around you. Because outwardly, there are many things which can shake you up. But inwardly, if you meditate, you know, you're a long time meditator, the body, even at the physical level, you know, your cortisol levels are less, for example, your heart rate is always less. You, you don't suffer from, from conditions like high blood pressure or uh, diabetes, all these things, because I think somewhere everything is in equilibrium. You're in a state of balance. And that is the long-term effect. Apart from the fact that, see, the brain, in the brain, there's something called neuroplasticity, right? Mm. So when you are faced with a stressful situation, what the brain does is the neural connections with the most ancient part of the brain become very strong. When you keep meditating, this neural connection weakens. And so the production of, say, cortisol or the stress hormones becomes less. So at a point, even when you're faced with immense stress, you're able to deal with it in a much more equanimous manner. So that is the takeaway from meditation because ultimately it has to show results in everyday life. It's mm. not just about, you know, having 20 minutes yeah, of Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, see, I, I like thinking about it like that because I, I think even myself, I sometimes separate it, it, it as like a part of my day or a part of my life rather than using it in, in my life. And, and, and I think the way you described it is, is beautiful where the same way that we see these thoughts pass by and we're observing them and we're maybe detached from them at some point when we get to that level, we can also detach uh, the same level of maybe uh, intensity from our emotions or from uh, things that pass us by in our life. And, and, and so I like, you know, the parallel between the, the work you do within and the work you can do externally. And, uh, to close off, um, in terms of, you know, one of the things I just found really interesting about the work you do is you said you work with Fortune 500 CEOs and do meditation retreats with them. And mm -hmm. I, I'd be very uh, interested to hear about your experience with that. A, you know, how open some of their mindsets are and, and, then, and then how you've changed, you know, the way they work or, or what they've said in terms of feedback to you afterwards. One thing which has always struck me about very successful individuals is that somewhere they are able to connect with their spiritual self very easily. Mm. They're very open-minded. And I think that is in large part responsible for them achieving what they set out to achieve. So in my experience, I mean, I've been doing this for uh, close to 10 years, you know, where we do one-on-one -on -one sessions um, where I teach them meditation from the inception from how the brain works to how, you know, the, how the mind operates and what is the difference between the mind and the brain. You really have to start at that level because you have to understand that these are very logical, you know, rational people who, you know, think that I'm the best decision maker. Yeah. So I can't be, you know, indiscriminate in my thinking. So once you start from there and you explain to them that these are all the things that go into your own thought process and then how to regulate that thought process I have noticed that a lot of them continue to do it with a great degree of discipline this has been my major takeaway from teaching leaders in various fields as opposed to more you know common individuals who do not have the discipline and who possibly may not connect to the spiritual so easily as a successful person does. 
I mean, this is in not in any way to bring about, yeah, yeah. you know, like a biased opinion of, you know, someone who's not successful because we all face failures in life, but we are not talking of that kind of, you know, person here. We are talking of the uber successful person yeah. who's running like a multi-million dollar company. He needs a different mindset for that. And then I think the meditation only prepares him to become more compassionate in his dealing. So a lot of times um, I deal with a lot of lawyers because I think they are the most stressed out because somewhere there is this huge element of guilt. So they come back to me after a year or two of practice and they say, you know, I can't do that anymore. What I used to do three years ago, I can't be ruthless and heartless and cold-hearted <laughs> and, you know, that kind of thing. Because somewhere the compassion in them is taking the front seat now. So I think 90% of them continue to practice. They thrive and they come, they're constantly in touch to give me an update. So I think the numbers are pretty good as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. No, that's amazing. And I wonder if there is some correlation between like being open to, to spirituality and, and, uh, and success. Like, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe there is, or, or maybe it is, like you said, just the, the discipline of sticking to a practice in the same way they would stick to whatever their desire is in life. And also, I think uh, to a large extent, they already have a connection with the quantum field mm. because they've gotten there through effort. But there's also some aspect of it where there is the fact that they can manifest, manifest what they desire. Yeah. So that all these things tie in together to make them different from the average person on the street. And these are the people who will eventually also lead very peaceful, retired lives. They will give, possibly give away all their, you know, wealth. And they will actually do something to raise the universal consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. It, in terms of manifestation, um, is there, uh, you know, just in your tradition, what, what does it say about, manifestation and, and how it works and how it kind of connects back to all of the things we've been talking about with, with chakras? Well, we, in the Indian tradition, we don't really talk of manifestation, but how they describe it is you have a desire, which is called a sankalpa. And every prayer, every uh, puja, which is worship, begins and ends with a sankalpa, which is where you put out your desire of whatever you want to the universe. And the entire exercise is to ensure that the sankalpa comes true. So possibly that's the correlation yeah. with manifestation. But I think um, manifestation has a lot to do with sound as well. Mm. The use of sound. And I was uh, recently listening to Ibn Alexander, who's, you know, who wrote about near-death yeah. experience. And uh, he's a neurosurgeon. And he talks about how he hears a music when he's completely brain dead and he says sound is a very important aspect of connecting with the quantum field, which I think the Hindus understood. That's the reason why we have mantras. That's the yeah. reason why we have bhajans and these form such an important part of our everyday lives. So for example, I do one hour of chanting every day, which is, I think, you know, my connection with the, uh, quantum field with the universe just becoming stronger and stronger because of my mantra recitation. And I feel completely different when I come out of my chanting session. So it's possibly you could yeah. correlate to, you know, the kind of relaxation you feel when you meditate, but this is of another level altogether. What is a chanting session? Like, you know, for, for someone who's never experienced that, what, what uh, goes into a chanting session? What are the, the sounds that you're using and where do those come from? And, you know, just for, for you personally, what, what does that look like? Uh, I uh, am uh, a student of what is called the Sri Vidya tradition. So Sri Vidya tradition has at the center of it, the feminine power, you know, the feminine energy called Shakti. So most of my chants are attributed are, can be attributed to the goddess who stands as an example of this Shakti. So uh, there are several stotras and mantras which are beautiful. It's like they come uh, from 
as far back as the Rig Veda. They're really difficult, some of them, to even learn and to master. Yeah. Take years. But all of these, uh, with the mantras which exist in the Shakti tradition is what I follow. But various people do it in different ways. Like, for example, recently I came across something called the solfeggio frequencies. Right? So these are various frequencies uh, which came out of, I think, Gregorian chants. Okay. Yeah, so possibly the Christian tradition. And I find that these also work equally well because you start at 197 hertz, which really calms you down. And it's almost like a natural anesthetic. So if you have a headache, but you play this 197 hertz frequency around you, the headache just dissipates. Mm. Or you can move it higher to, you know, the 936 hertz where, you know, you feel one with the universal consciousness. So it's all a trial and error. It's all experimentation. You just have to just keep learning and keep experimenting and see what works for you. And eventually something will strike a chord and something will happen. But the practice has to be consistent. Well, I think that's a beautiful note to end on. I think uh, uh, this was personally my my favorite conversation that I've had um, for the show, but uh, one of my favorite conversations I've, I've ever had. So I appreciate your time so much. Um, so much. And it, I, I know people watching will learn a lot. Is there anything else that you want to leave people with? Um, definitely let them know, you know, where to find you, how to get your books and, and all that. But in terms of any other messages, feel free to, to pass on. So people can find me at my website, which is vinitarashinka.in. I have a fairly extensive blog where I write about everything we've discussed. And uh, I would say to people, if, if nothing else, just spend five minutes focusing on your heart, focusing on your breath. Because, you know, we've been hearing a lot about this heart coherence and because the heart gives off an energy, which can, which is quite a strong one. And just focusing on that, taking your attention there, even for as less as five minutes a day can give you tremendous benefits. So I recommend it's okay if you don't have a spiritual practice, it will come in time, but you could start with just focusing on your heart and try to ensure that your breath and heart are in consonance. So that itself will move you on to bigger and better things. And I would like to end with a beautiful prayer in Sanskrit. It's for that. universal peace. So uh, I will just chant that for a moment. Okay. Om Sarve Bhavantu Sukhinaha Sarve Santu Niramayaha Sarve Bhadrani Pashyantu Om Shanti 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 That was beautiful. It was a prayer for all beings on this planet, hoping that they live in peace and harmony and good health. I love that. And and I, on the note of peace for in all the realms. I could, I could feel it. I was closing my eyes. I could feel it coming through, even though we're out through the screen. It, that's how powerful it was. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again. Um, I, I hope. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Whoosh! <whistles>